0: Okay, nice to see everybody, um, especially those of you who have made it through and um, stayed for the third year, um, Shana Tova. What we're going to talk about today are the Haftorot of um, the Yamim Noraim, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we'll talk a little bit about Yonah since we're learning it this year as a school in Mayanot. Um, now, the Haftorot, it's interesting because I think you get different opinions about Haftorot in Shul. I personally love the Haftorot, maybe because I teach Navi. Um, for some people, that's not the highlight of davening. Um, it could be, you know, a time when people drift off a little bit. I have been guilty of that myself. But very often, the Haftorot can really give insight into either a theme that's um, that's already there in the parsha, or maybe a new idea that. Um, that can come out from the time of year or the, the specific Shabbos. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at um, three different Haftorot, and we'll see how there is a similar theme that comes out from these different sources. Now, what's a, what I think is so rich about Chumash and Navi and Tanakh in general is that there are so many different themes, and each of these haftorot, these sections that we're going to look at have many themes that um, you know we could, we could debate about which is the central theme of that piece, but I think there is a common element in the themes that we're reading around the Amim no Raim that have a message for us. Okay, so let's start, we're going to start with the story of Chana, um, the famous story of Chana that we read on the first day, right, of, of Rosh Hashanah. Um, so the story of Chana can be understood only against the background of Sefer Shoftim. So just to briefly summarize, um, when we start, we open up the book of Shmuel and we come to the story of Chana, we're really reading it against the backdrop of two terrible stories that end the period of the Shoftim, the story of Pesel Micha and the story of Peleg Geshbegiva. So just in short, um, the story of Pesel Micha right, is about um, um, a man named Micha who comes from Har Afrayim. Um, and he, after, um, there's a whole story with money. He stole some money from his mother. His mother ends up giving him back the money and telling him to use the money in order to create a Pesel, like um, uh, a figure of idolatry, a cult for his home. Um, so he does this. He hires, he finds a lady who he hires to be the Kohen to work in this cult. And they set up this whole, really, um, center of a in his home. Then a bunch of people come from, a, a group of Jews come from Shiva Dan. This is still in the period of the Shoftim, so they're still conquering Israel. Israel was not fully conquered in the time period of mm-hmm. Yahushua, It continues for many years afterwards. So a group of people from Dan pass by, come through to his home, see this cult, and then later on their way to conquer this city, end up stealing, break in with 600 armed men, steal the pieces of Avodah Zarah, and take along this levy also to work in that cult as well. And Micha kind of goes chasing after them, trying to get it back until they turn him away, and he realizes it's not going to happen. So this is one, the first, I would say, the first story of um, focusing on the Avodah the idolatry that was going on at that time. The second story also goes um, the story of Pilegesh oh, let me just make one more point about that. If you look at the source sheets, the very first source, this is the end of Sefer Shoftim says, Bayesimu Pesel Micha Asherasa kol yemei Bishilo. So all the time that the Mishkan was in Shilo, right, and um, we'll talk in a minute about Eliyah Kohen being in Shiloh, at the same time simultaneously Pesel Micha was operating as well, and people were going to Pasal Miha to bring them their korbanot. So there was this simultaneous, yes, we had the Mishkan on the one hand, but it was also, Israel was also a center of idolatry. Okay, second story, story of Pelag Eshvigiva, right, another harrowing story. Every time we hear it, it's like still just takes, um, takes your breath away in its horror, right, the story of Pelag Eshvigiva, another man from Haraphraim right, who, um, his Pilegish is from Beit Lechem. she decides she's going to leave him, so he follows her, um, stays at her father's house, after a few days they turn back, he takes his Pelegesh with him, and they end up in Giba, which is a place in Binyamin, and they can't find a place to sleep for the night. Now, they won't, they're very from they won't go into the city of Yevus, because Yevus is a non-Jewish, is, is not yet conquered, right? David HaMelech, will, like, we'll, we do that later, when David HaMelech moves into Yerushalayim in Ir David, but he won't go into Yavuz because Yevus is like a non-Jewish city. Finally, an old man um, in Giva invites him in, tells him to come in, stay for the night, and in a parallel to the Sodom story, right? people come banging on his door in the middle of the night and ask him to, and say, throw out your guest. But this man, he won't throw out his guest, he just invited the guest into his house. So instead, he offers his daughter and this man's pilagesh, right? So he takes the, They take the daughter and the pilagesh, throw them out of the house, um, they're raped throughout the night. And finally, in the morning, the man says, all right, time to go home, opens the door, and he finds her lying there on the doorstep. And he says to her, get up, let's go. And she doesn't respond. And finally she realizes that she's dead. And in a response, he cuts up pieces of her, sends one piece to every shavet. And um, this result in a civil war with Binyamin. But these are the two stories that end Sefer Shoftim, right? One highlighting the idolatry and the Abu zara at the time, the other one highlighting the sexual immorality that was going on at the time. So in the backdrop of this, we open up Sefer Shmuel and begin with the story of Chana. Um, And right, So we already saw that there was f- really the three cardinal sins. We have Avodah Zara, we have um Ad-Zamim, like a major civil war against Binyam until they're almost totally wiped out, um, and Giloy um, Arayot, the, the sexual crimes that were going on as well. Um, and the Navi's message, by the way, is always, Bayamim HaHeim, Ein Melech B'Israel Ish Hayashab Bein Aviaset, right? When there's anarchy, when there's, um, this is the commentary of the Navi. Um, when there's anarchy, there's no, there's no structure. We needed structure at that time. There was no king, and therefore everyone did what they wanted to do. So when we enter the situation in Shiloh, unfortunately, we come on a very similar situation because we start out with the story of the sons of Eli, right, Chafni and Pinchas. Now, this part, I think, is actually not in the Haftorah, so it's not on the source sheet. I'm just going to read you for a minute how B'nai Eli are running um, the Mishkan in Shiloh. So, this is in, um, I think this is in Perakbet after, after Chanetz Um So, you have Ubne Eli, Bnei Bilia'al, right? It's like a little play on words, Bnei Eli and Bnei Bilia'al, they're rebellious. Lo Yaduat Hashem. Um, and then the Navi goes on, I, actually I'm not going to read this in, in this piece inside, but the Navi goes on how the Kohanim, when people were coming to bring the Korbanot, they were trying to steal from the gifts that people were bringing to Hashem. So really the opposite of the Kohanim, who were supposed to be the leaders and the teachers, instead here they were coming to take away from the gifts that we, people were bringing to Hashem. Um, and the the Navi summarizes it at right so their their sin was great um, against God because they were desecrating the mincha, the gifts that people were coming to bring to Hashem. and in the end they were discouraging people stopped coming to bring karbanot because their karbanot were getting taken from them by the kohanim so they really had the opposite effect of what they were what they were trying to do so first we see by the way in a similar vein we have the sin of the, of in, in the Mishkan, the sin of the Karbano, the sin against Hashem. Then also, when Eli later hears about what his sons are doing, ve Kol Asher Banav, he finds out what his sons are doing to Israel, ve Asher Et and how they would sleep with the women, the they per, uh, it's translated, I think, by the Gemara as the pregnant women, um, there's different ways to translate that, who stood at the opening of the tent of the Ohel Moed. So there's a little bit of a debate about that. Does it literally mean, you know, what, what type of crime did they do literally? And sometimes in the Navi, um, something will be written in a harsher way in order to tell you that the impact of their action. So there's a, possi- there's a little bit of a debate, like did they actually, was it just that they kept them waiting for no reason, so they weren't able to return the, to their husbands? But in some ways, but from the pshat, it is that they actually did sleep with these women. It, it's unclear. It's a debate. But um, here again, we have the Navi is telling us again. We have those two. We have the crimes again. We have the um, a, a spiritual crime, like a crime against Hashem, and then we have a crime against man. And specifically again, it's the connotation of the Navi is that of a sexual crime. So we're coming in, even though we don't have the horror stories of Pesel Micha and the horror story of Pelegesh Begiva. At the same time, we're coming in in the same climate where we have these. Um, we have a climate of um, the spiritual center, the place that's supposed to be the spiritual center, is really the place of crimes against man and against God. Okay, in the story of this, we enter into the story of, of, of Hannah. Um, and it's, oh, it's fascinating when you begin, when, when we open up this story, how the two stories are really woven together, right? On the one hand, we have the story of Bnei Eli, Chafni and Pinchas. And their work in the Mishkan and the corruption of the Mishkan, interwoven into that, we have a very beautiful story about Hannah and her quest for a child, which is ultimately results in the birth of Shmuel. Okay, so just to um, right, just to summarize, we Chana, She comes back. This is what we read on um, Rosh Hashanah. Hannah, who came up with her husband Elkanah, um, her, while her co-wife Penina has many children. Hannah is an Akara, she has no children. She goes to Shiloh where she makes an um, where she where she goes to Shilo to Davin. She meets Ailey at the Mishkan, right? Ailey is the Kohen Gadol at that time, the father of Khafni and Pinchas. When she meets Ailey, right, she gives a heartfelt prayer. He thinks that she's drunk initially. Um, finally he gives her a blessing that she should have a child. Ultimately, she has a child, that child is Shmuel, who she dedicates to Hashem. And this story is fully interwoven into the story of Chafni and Pinchas in a way that is unusual. It should have been separated. Just the style of the Tanakh is that when we're talking about one topic, we focus on that topic. And when we're done, even if it's even if there's time problems with that, then when we're done, we move on to the next story. So these stories are really inter interwoven, which right away is making a point that they're not really two stories, they really are one story. So what I'd like to do now for a minute is look at the way that the different characters in the Chana story handle um, the issues that are going on in the Mishkan, in, in Shiloh, and the corruption that we just saw. Okay? So the first character we'll, we'll, we'll talk about for a minute is Eli. Now Eli is the Kohen Gadol, the father of Khafni and Pinchas, who are the ones who are creating the big problem in the Mishkan. Now how is Eli portrayed? Now certainly in, if you look in Chazal, Eli is portrayed as someone who is very tamim, who is a tzaddik, who is a Tamil chacham. But at the same time, what simultaneous to his positive character, at the same time we have all the corruption that's going on with his own sons in his own Mishkan. And the text itself of the Navi is very critical of Eli about that. Um, for ex- um, just see, let's we'll look at this here. Um, yeah, the I think I, I don't think I have this one in the source either. Just see. Um, yeah, we have well the, um, the in the end of Paragbat, the Ish Elokim comes to him and he tells him he accuses him of respecting his sons more than God. Yes, you Ailey, maybe in your own personal life you're a tzaddik. But in the way that you're teaching your sons and in letting them go about corrupting the mishkan, you're responsible for them. And the Yishelokim tells him that his house is going to be cut off for that reason, right? Um, I, in, um, when Eli himself speaks to his sons and tries to give them musr, um, we'll just read this inside for a, for a minute. I don't think this is in the source either. Um, it says, Ve'eli zaked ma'od, so Eli, he hears what's going on, right? Already that's a problem, right? When, you, when you're the, the head person of any organization, you need to be there, right? You need to see exactly what's going on. You need to be involved. You need to be in, invested. So Eli hears, and he tells his sons, So Eli hears, and he tells his sons, why are you doing all these things that I keep hearing about, right? Again, the emphasis on the word shama comes up again. Right? This rumor that I hear about you, it's not a good thing, right? It's, it's a rumor right away. It's the opening to say, well, it's just a rumor. I'm only hearing about this. It's very removed and secondhand. Um, And then the word Shema comes up again, he says, in the next pasach, he emphasizes again, you need to show mea to the voice of your father. Everything is hearsay as opposed to being actually there. Um, And notice also the way he calls his sons, banai, it's a very warm, kind way of speaking to them, which absolutely we all agree that that's appropriate in parenting to be kind to children, but there's a time where you have to put your foot down and show what your values really are and the Ish Elohim later accuses Eli of saying this that Eli you didn't step up to it that your sons are corrupting the Mishkan and giving them a speech a, a, a loving speech at that moment that's not the speech that they needed then and it can't just be Shomeah it has to be from being there um, similar and that and you see that reflected by in the way that they're called they're constantly referred to as B'nai Eli the sons of Eli um, as opposed to using their names We call them by Eili, even though it's not Eili's sin per se, the text is sending us a strong message that, yes, in the end of the day, it is your sin. If you have the ability to stop it and you don't, the sin becomes yours. Um, Also, just in the imagery, by the way, it's interesting, um, Eili is also presented in the imagery as a very passive figure. So in the story of Chana, right, the image of Eili is the Eili Hakohein Yoshev al Hakisei. Right, he's sitting. It yep. in the that came yes. Okay, it's a very interesting question, which is when does leadership really? Sometimes leadership seems to go too long, and maybe there was a time when um, maybe it should have been passed before. Yes, and uh, that's an interesting question: is, is Ailey the one who should have initiated that? You know, maybe he should have said, "I." Yeah, what do you think? Just get Yeah, so the next parak. good, the next parak also talks about when it, 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 it's actually a fascinating thing that happens in these Prakim, how the Ailey's physical problems mirror the spiritual issues. Um, He has trouble seeing, and that's discussed in the same Pasuk where it talks about nevuah going down. It says, um, here, parak Gimel starts with, um, let's see, yeah, by Heba, um, it's the first Pasuk says, Udvar Hashem haya yakar haheim, ein chazon nifrat right? There was no widespread vision or nevuah. And the next passage talks about ve'enei eli hechelu kahot, that his eyes were beginning to dim. So the physical in these sections very much mirrors the spiritual. Yeah, what do you think? Is it metaphorical? Yeah. It would be hard to say that that pasuk is a metaphor, just because the way it's presented, it doesn't. There's nothing that would lead it to be implausible. You know, meaning we know that he's old, and we, it's similar to Yitzchak, right, whose eyes dimmed. So I don't. I think it can be. I, I, I would prefer to read it on two levels. You know, which I think the Radak does also. You can read it on two levels. His eyes were dim, and his um and his his, his vision is dim, not just in the sense of nivuah, but maybe in the sense of being perceptive and being able to step up to it. So I think that raises another very interesting question, which is who should, who initiates that? Who says my time is past? You know, um, uh, in my day, I was a great leader, but maybe my my um, my age at this point has become an obstacle to effective leadership. So you will have to, I don't know, exploration maybe next year or this year we'll have to talk about that. But it's a, um, yes, but it's very much the images and the way that Eli is discussed physically mirror his, um, reflect his, his leadership state, right? And I think you could even extend that also, ha HaKohen Yosheva like Al-Kisei, he comes, when Chana comes into the Mishkan and she sees Eli sitting, you know, it's not crazy for an old man to sit down. But again, the sitting is also showing that he's sitting, he's stagnant, he's not circulating, he's not dealing with the issues as he needs to deal with it. Okay, now, in contrast to the, by the way, in contrast to the soft response to his son, Ely's perception also is off with Chana, right? Chana says to him, um, I think this we have, if you look on the sheet, this is this is on, in the Haftor itself, so if you look on the sheets for a minute, um, it's I think on the third page. Yeah, the Abtur of Rosh Hashanah, day one. If you look at Yud Bet, it says, the at piha. Right? So Chana was Davening a lot, um, and Eli was watching her mouth. Right? Her voice wasn't heard. And but the Gemara talks about how at that time. That was a new Tvila Belachash was initiated by Chana, the silent prayer. So Eli's watching her. It's strange that he hears no voice. So Eli thinks that she's drunk. Why? How long are you going to be drunk? You should, you know, get your wine out of you before you come to the Mishkan. That's a, Those are two things that don't go together. Lo I'm not drunk. I'm just a woman who's in pain. I'm, I didn't drink wine, but I'm spilling my soul. It is, the words are very beautiful. This is the key. Don't think that I'm a rebellious woman. So we see the, mistake, what the, the what the text is highlighting. Eli thinks the chana is a bat b'liya'al. The real b'nei b'liya'al, which we're called by that, right, are his sons. And the Navi itself calls Hufni and Pinchas, the b'nei Eli, b'nei b'liya'al. So there's a sense in that the perception is off. Again, not coming from um, bad intentions, like in the case of Hufni and Pinchas, but this lack of perception, again, reflected in the, the blindness of his eyes as well. So we have Ailey, while he, he is, is um, in, in his own right, is a righteous figure, in terms of dealing with the corruption at this stage going on in Chilo, he is passive, and that's what he's blamed for by the Ishelokim. Kim. Now, in contrast to Ailey, there are two very active characters in this narrative, and when I say active, I mean specifically in this regard, in the regard of dealing with the problems that are going on in Shiloh, and those are the husband's um, wife team of Elkanah and Hannah. Okay, so let's start with Elkanah for a minute. Um, Elkanah is certainly in the beginning not described with the same passivity as Eli, and um, it, the story, it, it, ironically, the beginning of Shmuel, right, which is the beginning of our Haftorah, starts in the same way as Pesel Micha and Pilegash Begiva, just the same literary style of telling the story, but right away there's a change. So if you take a look at the at the Haftor again, which is on the third page, you have Vayhi Ishachad min Haramatayim Tofim Mehar Ephraim Ushmo Elkana. So then it gives us his lineage. Um Bed Velo Shtei Nashim, always a recipe for problems. Two wives. Shem Achat Chana, Vshem Hashenit Penina. So Pnina has many wives, um, I'm sorry, many children, and Chana has no children. So the first thing we hear about this man is that he goes up. You know, he's going up. Now, it actually heard um, on on Rosh Hashanah. I got to hear... um, the rabbi's speech, and um, he spoke about um, aliyah, like whenever you doing something good is always portrayed as aliyah, and um, yurida is always, chait. always has the connotation of going down, and it's very much in Tanakh. Whenever people geographically go up, make, make aliyah, there's always something positive about it, and whenever people go down, right, like even Yonah, or you think about Yonah, he's yoreid he keeps going down into the boat. yoreid is always the connotation of chait. So here we have, um, the um, the man um, the Elkanah is always he's going up he's every yearly on a, year, um, a yearly cycle he's going up to make a pilgrimage to Shiloh. Now this was revolu- revolutionary at this time. In the end of Shoftim when it talks about pesel, um, when it talks about Pilegish begivam um, Pesel Micha, at one point when people need to locate the Mishkan, the Navi actually gives directions because people had no, no idea. idea right, was. people were not getting there. So what Aili is doing is revolutionary, and the Medrash makes it even, you know, the Medrash tells it in such a beautiful way. Um, take a look back at the first source page for a second. Um, the Medrash, um, if you look at the, let's see, we'll look at the fourth, at the fourth line where it says El-Kana'u Ishto, um, after the, I'm sorry, source three, the Yalkot Shimoni, the fourth line um, where after the period it says El-Kana'u Ishto. So El-Kana'u Ishto Bana'u V'chol Krovav Hayam Ma'ale'i Rago. Okay, so Elkanah would go up with his, um, his children um, and all his relatives for the regal. So they would choose specifically to sleep in the streets of the city, right, as opposed to going indoors to a hotel or something. So deliberately they would see him doing something strange and would ask him, where are you going? I'm going to the Beit Hashem in Shilo look once we're going, come with us. their eyes would fill with tears. the so they would start to go with him they would emotionally once they saw someone doing it once Ely was setting I'm sorry once El Kana was setting that example sleeping on the streets with with his family showing people I'm doing this I'm going yes we don't even know where it is but let's restart people connected to that and he set that example where people wanted to do that as well Ad adlishana haba chamishabatim. Um, the next year five houses uh, five families lishana kharet Asarabatim, ten families. kulam yu By the way, I think there's just a lot of um, of um, insight in that in just those the, that line in itself that every big thing has to start small. You know, it, it doesn't doesn't happen in a day that everybody was coming up for the regel with Elkanah. But slowly, he was willing. Five families was a big victory in the beginning, and then ultimately he was bringing everything back. Um, he was strategic about it. He wouldn't go up the same way twice. So Until everyone was going up, and Hashem said to him, You caused B'nai Yisrael to, um, to become righteous. You taught them mitzvot. You caused many to become pure. Um, so he said, you're going to deserve a son who's going to do the same thing, who's also going to teach the people and bring them back. So in the merit of Elkanah, he received his son Shmuel. Now he, um, so the medrash even, uh, the the medrash highlights how um, Elkanah's going out and saying, I'm not happy with the status quo. I'm going to change it. I'm going to put um, Shiloh back on the map. I'm going to take people away from visiting Pesomija. I'm going to make it happen by, by example. Um, now, by the way, just interestingly, though, um, I, I think this, this adds a lot of insight. In terms of changing what is actually going on at Shilo that we don't have, you know, we don't see Elkanah changing what's going on. Meaning, yes, by bringing people back, he is going to change what's going on because he's going to start bringing more people who revolutionize a change. But we don't see him interacting with Eli Chafni, or Pinchas trying to deal with the problems that are actually going on in the Mishkan. And actually, there's a little bit of a debate um, in the Pasuk itself when Eli brings them back, right? We saw it said... So why? what does the second piece add to the first part of the Pasuk? What do you think? If you look at Pasuk Gimel, right, you have that, that this person was going back, Elkanah was going back every year to bring people to bow down to Hashem and Shiloh. And in that place were the sons of Eli, Chafni and Pinchas, Kohanim la why put that second piece in there? They're doing what they set out to do in the beginning. They're, they're, they're not changing. Okay, so it shows us, well, he's changing, they're not changing. Course, what? Despite if, the fact that yeah. that is going on, he believes still the right thing to do is to be Ola Rego mm-hmm. and he's oh, doing
1: it
0: anyway. Okay, very nice. So the Maubim actually says, I think, is that, um, says exactly what you said. Um, let's see, I think that's on the... On the next page, says just that he, he highlights just that piece. Yeah, Visham Shne Bine Eili. Hu taam Lama Rakulavado Alam Iro Luragel. Why was he the only one going up? Me Shiv kihaam hayunimna im as me alo la ragel. Mipne bine shayal shim tsa be nehaam. So he um the reason why people weren't going up was also because they didn't want to be there with Bene Eli. Ubazes he pergamba But this highlights the praise of Elkanah that even though right despite the fact that Bnei Eli are there despite the fact that it's somewhat um, despite the fact that the Mishkan is corrupt Eli still says we still have to re, we have to reenergize we can't give up because if we're waiting for it to be perfect it's never going to happen if we stay away Afal um, Pichain, right despite Lo Nimna Hu Me'Alot Me'Amim he still didn't go he still didn't hold back from going and he got the schar of everybody. Now, interesting, I think um, Rabbi um, Rabbi Silver wrote an article on Tradition where he talked about this Perak and he read it differently. He read that this pasuk was, um, actually brought out a little bit of a negative about Elkanah, that he was going up, he kept going up, but the status quo was the same. Like, he didn't, he, yeah, so it's, it's hard to criticize, I mean, I don't mean this to sound like He did so much, meaning he brought people back, he resurged, but the pasuk is telling us it was still a problem, like what was going on there was still problematic. So you can read this pasuk in different ways. You can read it as praise. He kept bringing them back, even though it could also be read as a little bit of a negative. He kept bringing them back, but remember, it was still so bad. Um, now, I don't think it has to be criticism, I don't mean that as criticism, it's just limiting the extent of what Elkanah did, that Elkanah was bringing the people back, but the state of Shiloh was still as it was, with um, B'nai Eli Chafniu, Pinchas running the show. Okay, so, that, yeah, go ahead. I have a question, based yeah. on this Shimoni. If, um, if based on Elkanah's good deeds, if he was already getting Shmuel as a reward, did Hannah need to cut this deal and sort of give up her son. Oh, interesting. You know, if Elkanah was already being rewarded with Schmuel.
1: Right, why so don't being...
0: need to sort of say, Hey, I'm going to give up my son to you and, you know, I'm praying. Right. Okay. So I yeah. uh, in first there, there can be I think that they go hands in hand I think there's a bunch of different responses to this, but they do go hands in hand because he didn't just get a son he got he didn't just get Okay, you're getting a son. He specifically got a son that was going to do the same thing. So the reward was a son such as Shmuel, who was going to be dedicated to the Klal. Right? You got, because you did this for, for the Jewish people and brought them back, you're going to get a son who's going to do the same thing. So he wasn't just getting, you know, in reward, your wife is in Akhara, you're going to get a son. The reward specifically was Shmuel. Um, also, I think sometimes the Medrash finds like um, different, I, mean, I I still think the essence of, of the reward of Shmuel was from Hannah's sacrifice, but then the Medrash finds different connections in acts of other people as well. There's often not one reason that something happens. So I don't think Hannah can be separated. You know, when like, Chana, she didn't know that she was going to get it anyway. Um, it was in the merit of Chana, but then we also found that there were also merits of Elkanah that were also, that were mirrored into his his son. And even in terms of merits, I, always, I like to think of merits also as it's also Chinuch. Like, Shmuel, they merited Shmuel, and Shmuel became who he was also because he saw parents such as, who he had parents like Elkanah and Chana, who were such role models. So I think it's multifaceted. It wasn't, you know, I, I still think that, definitely in the text, the main, um, the main reason that Shmuel was born is that it's a result of Chana. But then the Medrash also says, "Yeah, let's see. Like Elkanah also had some zchut that that brought it about." Yeah. Is that why um, Chana could ignore how um, Eli basically ignored his what his sons did and entrust her son to Eli? Mm-hmm. Oh, meaning is that because of this khut of Elkanah? And because it wasn't just to have a a son, but specifically to serve. Um, Yes, I think so. It wasn't just that she was looking for the best daycare, you know, and like, here's Ailey, he would not have made the cut. I think it was, um, I do think it was because she was looking for something different, and she saw a role in this child, that she was given this child for a specific purpose. And And despite she was giving it to. She was giving it in terms of his own son. Right. And, and interestingly, Ailey is is the most wonderful father mentor to Shmuel uh, because it, it, Shmuel was receptive to it and he was there and he stayed with him. So he, he had, you know, he was able to, and he serves as a, a really, you know, a mentor par excellence to Shmuel and helps form Shmuel to who he is. Yes, but I do think that's why he chooses eight. He, the, the baby has to be there, the baby has to change things. Yeah? So, um, but if it was really criticism of Al then he wouldn't have been rewarded with such a big reward. Maybe it was you know, making a statement that even though it was so corrupt, he was committed to doing what his mission was. Yeah, so I think that that's what really, that's what the Malbim and Ariel said before, that I think that that is the Shevach part of reading it. But I, that's why you're right. I don't like the word criticism. It's not criticism. We praise and laud Elkanah for what he did, but I think it's, it's sort of like more limiting it, that he was bringing people up, but it's just, it's creating this commentary that, well, we're still, you know, even though people were coming up, the state of the Mishkan was still as such. So I wouldn't call it criticism. He did an incredible thing. Okay, so back to Chana for a minute, since we're already getting onto that topic. What about Chana? So in contrast, I think to Chana to me is the most active character in this story, right? First of all, notice she, da, when she comes to Shiloh, she davens as opposed to bringing karbanot. Everybody else is bringing karbanot and Chana is davening, right? there's something about the karbanot that are not right, she finds a different way of connecting to Hashem. So her connection is through the davening that becomes her legacy. She's the model of all tefillah. So she rejects the method of karbanot and Davins instead. Um, and her true legacy, as you said, is the dedication of her son to Shiloh. And it's not only a way to have a child, right, because if her only goal was to have a child, she ends up having a child, but just losing the child right away. She doesn't, and once he's weaned, he spends his life with um, in the Mishkan. So Hannah's legacy is by giving this child, the purpose of her child is to change the situation. She is the change agent of what's going on in Shiloh. Um, and this is reflected, I think, in her tefila, Right? In Hannah's tefillah, she talks a lot about reversals. She talks about how, Hashem can take people who are poor and make them rich and people who are rich and make them poor, people who are downtrodden and make them high, people who are high up make them low. And that's really the focus of her tefillah. In, in fact, to the point where, you know, the parashanim wonder, where is the personal in Chana's tefillah. It sounds like a very global tefillah. So if you take a look for a minute at the tefillah, this is on the, um, I think on the fourth page, the second page of the of the Haftorah. Um, there's um, there's one there, there's one reference that people find in um, in the it, it pasuk Hay is the only reference that really talks about um, that only that that talks about her own situation of childbirth. It says niskaru um, right people who are satisfied end up being sold out for work like they have no money. chadelu um, people who are hungry um, are, are hungry no longer. Ad akara yalda virabat banim umla that um, someone who is here's the on, here's the only real reference that someone who is in akara now has seven children and through that the parshanim find lots of cases where where didchana have seven children and how can we find seven children but um, her, the focus of her is really very global about reversals which I think speaks to the bigger idea she was not just thinking about her own personal situation. Her dedication of Shmuel and her desire to have a baby was to change the situation in Shiloh. And that's why Shmuel had to be dedicated to the Mishkan. And the last Pasuk, she talks about um, how things will change also in a political sphere. And she says, Hashem Yechatu Mirivav, Allah Bashamayim, your aim. The last part is the part I want to focus on. Hashem Yadin Avse right? God will judge the world. He will give strength to his king and and rise the horn or the pride of his anointed one. Now remember, there's no king at the time. In fact, Sefer Shoftim ends with The problem in Sefer Shoftim was, one of the big problems was that there was no king. So Chana here is talking about a king. Where is this, what, what's this reference of kingship? Um, and the Parshanim go into, who are these kings? Um, if you look for a minute at um, source, let's see where this is, um, at the Metsudah David, um, this um, source number six, it's, he says, oz Who's the Melech? Hashem Yitain O's, um, I'm sorry, he goes, Hashem Yadin afse Aretz um, is a reference, to, he says, is a reference to Shmuel. Right, that Shmuel, what did Shmuel do? He would circulate in all the places and he would judge people even in the corners. Um, that's Sha'ul, because he became the king, right? And then the last one, Bayerim Karen Mishicho Al David Now she's talking about David, because Shmuel anointed David, but never actually saw him as the king. So the reference here to Shmuel, Hannah's, Hannah's tzvila, right, which is interpreted as a nevuah because she talks about the future. She talks about change. This son is not just a son. You know, I I, I want to have it. Of course, personally, she did want to have a child. Um, there was personal pain in not having children. But this child is not just for that purpose. This child is for a much greater purpose. This child is the change agent. So Hannah, I think Hannah's legacy here is that. Um, Beyond beyond even what Elkanah did in bringing people back, Hannah saw the situation. She saw that there was the Mishkan. She saw that there was, um, that we have the karbanot, We have all the rituals and we have the externals in place, but the internals are corrupt. So her change agent was finding that child who could come in and change that. Yeah, it, it, it's a blessing to have the Mishkan. I mean, how much would we give at this point to have something like that? But when the Mishkan is corrupt, there's only so much it's going to do for us. So Hannah's change was that she said, we got to go back there. We have to reignite it, and we have to take the externals and make them meaningful. And that was her blessing of the son of Shmuel. Now, this theme, I think, of... Um, of of looking beyond just um, making the externals meaningful, taking things that are rituals, and taking things that are, um, you know, external methods of connecting to Hashem and making them meaningful, is I think a theme that runs through other Haftorot as well. So if you take a look for a minute at the Haftorah on Yom Kippur, so this is the, um, oh, I'm sorry, let me just go, I'm just going to make one more point, by the way, about Shmuel. Shmuel. I'm sorry. If you look for a minute at the last three sources here, um, after it's source seven, eight, and nine, Shmuel actually encapsulates all the values that he got from his parents, from Elkanah and Hannah. Um, so I guess all that good parenting and role modeling paid off. Um, so if you look at if you look at number seven, so it's source seven, eight, and nine. I'll just summarize for you, I want to make sure that we. Um, that we have time to get through everything. If you look at look at 7, it says, um, He judged the people. He circulated. How did he judge? He didn't stay in one place, but he went out, right, modeling his father Elkanah, to Beit El, to Gilkal, to Mitzpah, and he judged all the people in all those places. He didn't wait for people to come to him, but like Elkanah, he went out. Okay, source number 8 um, is the is, is source where Shmuel tells the people, if you want to really connect to Hashem, you have to get rid of all the Avodah Zarah that's in your homes. And they have a whole ceremony where the people take the Avodah Zarah and they throw it out. So he really does become that change agent for getting rid of the Pesel Micha-like figures at the time period. Okay, and, the, and the source number nine, that last source on the page, which I think is a very, very beautiful source, Shmuel really reflects Chana's ideology in this one. Um, this is when um, Shaul sins, and Shmuel says to, and Shmuel says to um, and, um, Shmuel says to show, um I'm sorry, sh- and uh, Shaul sins with Amalek, right? And he saves, he doesn't kill um, the king, and he also saves all the animals for the karbanot. Um, so he says, I wanted to give a karban to Hashem. How could I kill all the animals? And Shmuel says to him a very, very beautiful passage that I think foreshadows in the Nevi'im Rishonim basically all of the Nevi'im Achronim. Um, if you look at um, source number nine, Shmuel says, "Vayomer Shmuel, ha'chafet Vachim, uzvachim." I know some of you know that this is my favorite passage. Ha-chavet la-Hashem ba-olot v'azbachim kishmoa b'kol Hashem. Do you think Hashem wants your korban more than He wants you to listen to Him? Um Kishmoa, hinei shomeya mizevach tov. Listening to God is so much more important than a good korban. Listening from the fat of the, of the korbanot. So Shmuel turns to Shaul and says, you think the korban is more important than listening to God's will? And this is really the embodiment of Chana. is saying, yes, in the time of Shiloh, we have korbanot, we have the mishkan. You think that's all that Hashem wants? Hashem doesn't just want the mishkan. Hashem wants the korbanot to be real. He wants the korbanot to be meaningful. Yeah. Go ahead. And how beautiful is it that she's the paradigm for Shmona Esrei? They say that her song parallels the 18 brachot of Shmona Esrei, and even the format of our nine brachot in the Shmoneh Esrei of Rosh Hashanah comes from how many times it says Hashem's name in her prayer. Like, it's just so complete that she actually gives us the way to worship Hashem after Absolutely, absolutely. She comes back and says, we don't have the karbanot, right? We have the tefillah instead. Tefillah in itself is also a ritual, although it's a ritual that's less connected to like sort of the physical preparations. But it has to be from a sincere place. And if it's not from a sincere place, it's not that the rituals aren't important, but it's not going to get you where you want to go. Okay, using this in mind, we're going to look at the, at the Haftorah of Yom Kippur that's coming up. Um, so take a look. This comes from Yeshayahu. Um, and look how exactly the same themes are coming out in the Haftorah of Yom Kippur. I gave you the Hebrew and the English. The words are, are difficult. Um, I'm going to highlight a few of the psukim. So look what happens. He says, uh, um, it starts out by saying, uh, look, look at Pasuk Bet. We're going to start with Pasuk Bet. He says, V'oti, what happens? Yeshayahu is giving a commentary on the people of the day and how are people behaving. So he says, V'oti, Yom Yom yidrashun. The people appear to seek out God every day, and they appear to look for the ways of God, right? And it's using the words of doresh and hafei, which are good words for connecting to Hashem, right? They appear like a nation that has not left righteousness, and like a nation who hasn't left mishpat. Um, So they look as if they're really desiring to walk in God's ways. And then they ask, they say, um, they turn to Hashem and say, But God, what happened? We fasted, and you didn't see it. It's as if nothing happened. We were so careful. From the minute that Yom Kippur started, we even added on to Yom Kippur. We didn't do a thing. We didn't taste any food. We did all the al but God, you didn't see it. Why were your eyes turned away? And then they go on to say, and say Right? We, we starved our bodies. We did all the inuyim, but you didn't see it. So God responds right through the Navi and says, Yes, on the day that you fasted, you were doing business. And you were um, and you were oppressing your laborers. So on the one hand, you're keeping all the rituals of Yom Kippur, right? You're doing all the externals, and it's not that that's not a good thing. We do believe um, that we need the rituals and the externals. That's part of what makes us, you know, um, practicing religious Jews. But at the same time, it was missing. It was only external to you. It didn't go any deeper. And then he goes on to say, let me let me tell you how you if you want to make this right. But what what kind of fast did you do, Basak Tatsumu. Right, the way you were fasting was a fast that was full of machloket, of fights. Um, And you, um, I'm sorry, Right, when you continue to fast the way you're fasting today, that fast is not going to reach me. The sound of your voice is not going to come close to me. Um... And he says, is this Yom Anot Adam Nasho? Do you think that this is the most important to me? Like this is the thing that I really that, that I care about the most. That if I see you, um, that I see you afflicting your soul in a physical way. Halakaf Halazet He says that you, you know, even though you're bowing down your head to the floor, you're wearing sackcloth, right? Do you think this is a tsom that I want? even though you're doing all those things, is that a yom ratzion And then he tells them, Halo, This is a tzom, this is the type of fast I would want. Resha, hiter mota, mota Once you would break the chains of wickedness once you treat your, your workers well, once you share food with people who are hungry, once it becomes part of your life, then the tsom itself is meaningful. But just the tsom, just the external, right? just a korban with chafni and pinchas, all of that is meaningless unless it comes from that sincere place, unless it really reflects a willingness to change. Um, and it goes on to say, in Pasuk Tad, he says, az tikrav ha then you're going to call out, and I'm going to answer you. Tisha Vava Yomar, Hineni. I'm going to answer you. Hineni is just that word of like readiness. And you almost have this image of like Hashem waiting there for that sincere call. He wants that. He's ready. But when it's just a fast, when it's just wearing the clothes, when it's just doing the outside things, that's not enough. That's not a fast that's going to be life-changing for us. That's not a fast that's going to take us really much beyond Yom Kippur. Now, I think, interestingly, this is um, really just a side point. I haven't thought this through as, um, so thoroughly yet, but I think um, you know, we're, te- we're doing Sefer Yonah as a school now. So, um, interestingly, I think this, I mean, this, is, this is, I think, part of Yonah's objection to the tshuva of Ninveh, right? Like, we're um, coming in the middle of the story, but right, Yonah comes to Ninveh, and this is the Haftorah of Mincha of Yom Kippur. Yonah comes, is um, very resistant to going to Ninveh, and the central question of the book really is why? Why doesn't he want to go to Ninveh? Just go to Ninveh and do what Hashem said. Why is it so important to him that he's running and escaping from Hashem? And Yonah, in in Per-Gimel, when we describe Ninveh's tshuva, it's very drastic and it's very immediate. Right? They all um, immediately um, immediately turn, change into sackcloth. They fast. Even the animals fast. It's so extreme. And there's a big debate in the Gemara if their tshuva really was meaningful. Um, and it talks about that they returned all the hamas asher bekapeyhem, they returned all the things that they had stolen that were in their hands, and the Gemara comments, well, they returned what was in their hands, but did they return everything else? Was it really a sincere change? And this may be Yonah's objection, that is their chuba really only an external thing, or does it come from a sincere and lasting place? Um, so to pull this all together... Um, there is a theme that seems to be running through the Haftorot of the Yamim No-Raim, right? First in, um, in the Shmuel story with um, Shiloh being the place of Chafni and Pinchas, a place of corruption, and we saw three different figures and the different ways that they dealt with the corruption in Shiloh, right? We saw Eli and his passivity to his own children and their behavior. We saw Elkanah, who is bringing people back, but we don't um, we don't have, not, to, not as a critical way, but we don't have uh, um, signs of him changing what's going on there. Um, and then we saw Chana as the most active figure in affecting change in Shiloh, causing a new system of leadership, bringing her son, rejecting Korbanot. Um, and then Shmuel became that change agent who did all those things, the legacies of Elkanah going out to the nation, and of Chana rejecting the insincerity of um, Shaul's giving the korbanot and not um, and not really being cognizant of God's will. Then in the haftorah of Yom Kippur, same idea that um, um, they, um, Hashem says to us on Yom Kippur: I I don't care about fasting if it's not rooted in real change and real internalization. Um, and then lastly, in the in um, Mincha of Yom Kippur, the haftorah again of Yonah, right where the haftorah talks about Ninveh and is their tshuva really sincere? Is their tshuva coming from a real place? Is the tshuva of Ninveh um, something that was just um, external and quickly trying to get it done, or was it a real tshuva? This may be the heart of what Yona himself is struggling with. I think for us, as um, or I definitely speak for myself, um, sitting in shul and listening to these messages, um, it certainly is poignant because we we do a lot of rituals at this time. We have a lot of um, we have a lot of shul a lot of praying, a lot of fasting, um, a lot of um, you know being very trying to be very careful in a very concentrated amount of time. I think the questions that these Haftorahs force us to ask ourselves is is it is it real, you know? And this was definitely in my mind on Rosh Hashanah davening. I'm here, I'm listening, I'm davening, I'm saying all the right things. How much of this is going to be a sincere change from within me? So hopefully these, these Haftorahs can continue to spark us to ask these questions, um, to continue doing the doing all the important things that we do on the no noraim, but making sure that they're coming from a place of real sincerity and Amir Tashem, That we should all take it with us to make this year a year of um, of constant bracha and mitzvot for all of us. Shana tova. How are you?